Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. When I am weak, then I am strong. What in the world does he mean by that? When he's weak, then he's strong. He means that when he's weak, he knows that the only thing that he can lean on is Christ. And beloved, when you and I can come to that understanding in our life, when we can walk in that in a consistent way of understanding that, man, in, in, in me, I'm going to mess this up. I can mess up a bag of dirt if it's left up to me. But it's in Christ, man. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. In Christ, I'm made strong, not in my own abilities. If you can fully accept that the only strength that you have is the strength that is offered to you through Christ, you'll become a stronger servant for His kingdom. Pastor David reminds you today that it's Jesus who you should pull your strength from. Don't be naive enough to think that you need to take the world on on your own. Instead, acknowledge the innate helplessness in you and ask Jesus to become your compass. Accept Him as your strength by acknowledging that you have no relevant strength of your own. Now here's Pastor David in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 2 as he continues his message, A Blessed Pain. God bless you so that you can be a blessing to somebody else? Why does God see you, see you through the tough times in your life in order that you can help somebody else through the tough times in life? We are comforted in order to be a comfort. Man, if we could ever get that right, if the church could ever get that right, that because we are part of the same body, the things that God is doing in our life isn't just for us. Oh, we get, man, it's such a blessing to be used by God. But God does these things in order that we can then encourage and, and strengthen and come alongside and demonstrate love to one another. Lone Ranger Christians. Lone Ranger Christians. It's a total oxymoron, and it is a non... Uh, uh, it can't be. We're, we're not called to be. We are part of the body. If I cut that finger off say, hey, you go do your own thing from now on, guess what? It's just going to die. Oh, and by the way, the rest of the body suffers because of it. He says he's God who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Apparently that second letter, that lost letter, uh, addressed some issues that were tearing the church apart. Primarily the arrival of some of these self-styled false teachers or false prophets. Uh, they, they began assaulting 
Paul's character. They began sowing a lot of discord uh, among the believers. They began teaching a lot of false doctrine. The reason we know this is because of what Paul is dealing with here in 2 Corinthians. Uh, It would appear that those false teachers, those false uh, apostles, they were questioning the legitimacy even of Paul's calling and even of the direction of Paul's ministry. Look down in verse 12, still in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, down in verse 12. Paul writes, for our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. And in this confidence, I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit to pass by way of you to Macedonia to come again then from Macedonia to you again, uh, to be helped by you on my way to Judea. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things that I planned, do I plan according to the flesh, that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no? What what Paul is saying, look, I I wanted to come to you, but apparently these false teachers says, oh, he promises that he's coming, but he's not coming. He's just saying these things. And Paul is saying, no, listen, I I wanted to do it. I just have not had the opportunity. He's having to explain himself. And isn't that a horrible place to be when somebody that you love, you have to explain your actions totally to them. The reason that happens is because they don't trust you. So apparently Corinth got to the point where they did not trust him. And so Paul's having to explain it. These false teachers seem to, they, 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 they even question his speaking ability. Look, look over in chapter 10. I know this isn't in order, but, but look in chapter 10, down in verse seven. He writes, do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ's, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ's, even so we are Christ's. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for destruction, what he's saying there, the Lord gave me authority, he gave me this position as an apostle to encourage you, to strengthen you, not to come and destroy you or to come against you. He said, he gave us for edification, not for destruction. I shall not be ashamed, lest I seem to terrify you with my letters. For his letters, they say, are weighty and they're powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. Paul said, look, I don't don't know what's going on with you guys. I'm writing these letters to bring edification and encouragement, and yet I'm getting word back that you're, again, coming against me personally and coming against the words I'm saying. Look what he says over in chapter 11 and go down to verse five. Chapter 11, verse five. He says, for I consider that I'm not at all inferior to the most eminent of apostles, even though I am untrained in speech. Now, he, he has to say that tongue in cheek because Paul stood his own there in Athens speaking with the most learned ones. He, he spoke in, in, it's before kings and all. He says, even though I'm untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Paul says, I've, I've been with you. You know who I am, and now all of these attacks are coming. There was even a charge that was brought against him because 
he didn't receive support from the church. He served the church, but wouldn't take any support from the church. And so instead of saying, hey, thank you, Paul, that you came and served among us while you still worked your finger to the bone, and yet you were still serving and ministering to the church, and you didn't receive any money from us. No, they were saying, you know, you're trying to make something of yourself, trying to puff yourself up. Still in chapter 11, look what he says in verse 7. Did I commit sin? And humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches. There's that tongue-in-cheek thing again. I robbed other churches. I took wages from them in order that I might minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one for what I lacked. Oh, by the way, the church over in Macedonia took care of even when I'm ministering to you. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. Look, look over in chapter 12 real quick. Chapter 12, verse 11. Because this apparently was a pretty big thing that was going on. Chapter 12, verse 11. Paul says, I've become a fool in boasting, but you've compelled me. For I ought to have been commended by you, for in nothing was I behind the most eminent of apostles, though I am nothing. And truly, the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is it in which you were inferior to other churches, except that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. Now for the third time, I'm ready to come to you and I will not be burdensome to you for I don't seek yours, but I seek you. That's the love that he had for these guys. I'm not coming because you guys will pay me an honorarium. I'm not here because you guys will, you know, puff up my salary. I'm here because I love you. The children ought not lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. I have great problem with that verse, but we'll move on from there. I understand what he's saying. But anyway, never mind. Uh, Verse 15, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I'm loved. Can you feel the heart of this guy? I, I, I was studying and preparing for that. And you know what came to my mind? Jesse Duplantis. This is on the radio. Jesse Duplantis. It's on video. Jesse Duplantis, who is believing God for a $54 million jet so that he can spread the gospel more effectively and efficiently. Because the other two corporate jets that he has aren't sufficient to be able to get where he wants to go anywhere in the world with only one stop. And I'm thinking, talk about bilking and milking and fleecing the sheep. And you know the sad point about it is? There's going to be hundreds of thousands of people that will give to that. I know that's off point here, but it just struck me so hard because that's, again, just the craziness of what people... And this is the thing that Paul is fighting against. False prophets and false teachers that are bilking the people And yet Paul says, man, I was among you. I didn't ask for anything. And now you're coming and you're coming against me. You're coming against my apostleship. You're coming against my leadership. And you're saying, I I haven't done anything. He says, man, I'm I'm sorry, you know, 
I'm sorry that, uh, you know, I, 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 I was so wrong against you. Even in the midst of Paul having to defend himself as an apostle, he still takes that opportunity to express that reality of his love. Man, I've, I've, I've abundantly loved you. And the more so I do, the less you love me. Flip over to chapter seven. I know this is kind of backwards and back and forth a little bit. It's not our normal style of going verse by verse. But in speaking all these things, for, because you've got to understand that 2 Corinthians is just filled with this kind of thing all throughout it. This is, so he, he says back in verse three of chapter seven, he says, I'm not saying these things to condemn. For I've said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I'm filled with comfort. I'm exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. He's saying, I remember the time. I remember the time that I was going through so much. And you guys just care and, and concern and zeal. Man, how that blessed me. Something took place since then. He says in verse eight, for even if I made you sorry with my letter, we believe that this is that second letter that we don't have. I don't regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that that same epistle made you sorry though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow did lead to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world simply produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus because his spirit had been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I'm not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true and his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all. How with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore, I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. It's here in 2 Corinthians that we read of Paul's revelation, this revelation that God gave him. And yet also his, his, his personal, his, his physical struggle, that, that thorn in the flesh. God had allowed him to, to experience some amazing things. And yet God purposefully humbled Paul 
so that he wouldn't think more of himself than he ought to think. Chapter 12, real quick, and we're coming to the end. Paul, in trying to defend himself and trying to defend his position uh, as a minister of the gospel and as an apostle, he, he continues on with this discourse. Chapter 12, verse 1. He says, it's doubtless not profitable to me to boast, but I'll come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, rather in the body I don't know, or rather out of the body I don't know, but God knows. Well, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Real quickly, the third heaven is the celestial. That's, that's where God is. The first heaven is the air that we breathe, the, the, our atmosphere. The second heaven is the stars and the planets. It's our outer space. We don't know anything beyond the second heaven. The third heaven is the place that God abides. And so in the Jewish mindset, that's where Paul is coming from. I was caught up into the third heaven. I was caught up to the very presence of God. And he says, I know such a man, rather in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows. He's speaking of himself, but he's speaking in kind of a third person here so as not to puff himself up. He says he was caught up into paradise and he heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one, I will boast. And again, he's boasting a third person, something that God did with him. And yet of myself, I will not boast except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or to hear from me. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of those revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, man, you know, I've got whatever this thing is, and we can speculate all day, but you're out of time. And, but in in essence, what God was saying, no, you know, you're going to have something that you've got to carry with you just to keep you from getting a big head. Paul is probably not too unlike many of us. It's real easy to get a big head when, when things go right. And yet Paul gave him this little thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. Down to verse 10, he says, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches, in needs and even in persecutions, and in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What in the world does he mean by that? When he's weak, then he's strong. He means that when he's weak, he knows that the only thing that he can lean on is Christ. And beloved, when you and I can come to that understanding in our life, when we can walk in that in a consistent way of understanding that, man, in, in, in me, I'm going to mess this up. I can mess up a bag of dirt if it's left up to me. But it's in Christ, man. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. In Christ, I'm made strong, not in my own abilities. Oh, he goes on and we don't have time tonight, but uh, he goes on and he, he, he kind of closes it out in chapter 13, verse 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. I want to back up something I do want to put. It might be simply my opinion, but I believe at the end of this, there's no bounce in his voice. 
There, there's no real joy. As, as we read in some of his other letters, hey, listen, say, tell so-and-so, send him our love, so-and-so greets you. Da-da-da-da. We don't see this at the end of 2 Corinthians. Look in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 7. Bear with me in, in kind of my own interpretation of this, but I really think that at the end of this, he's a guy that's worn out. He's worn out because of the struggle with his church. He says, now I pray to God that you do no evil. Not that we should appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable, though we may seem disqualified. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we're weak and and you're strong. And this also we pray, that you may be made complete. And therefore I write these things being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification, not for destruction. Finally, brothers, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You've dealt with people, so have I. Where you extend your love, you extend your love, and there's just no reciprocation. You don't extend your love for reciprocation. That's not how love, that's not how true love works. True love is is we love, regardless of whether we love back or not. We love the unlovely. We love the ungrateful. We love because Christ loved us. But we've dealt with people that, that man, you, you love, you want to help, you want to you, you work with, you want to be a part of their life, and yet they push that off. And you know that, that emptiness of feeling that you feel in that. It's kind of like, well, Lord... And we've done all we can. We, we, we've stretched out all we could. And they're not receiving. I think that's one of the reasons too why Paul says, as far as it be upon you, live at peace with all men. Because there's some people we're just not going to be able to live with peace with. But that whole idea of extending love and to have that just dropped or pushed away or ignored, it leaves a hurt feeling. And when I read 2 Corinthians, I read a brother in Christ who has demonstrated an abundance of love for these people. And yet it seems like, man, why do I always have to come back and defend myself? Why do I always have to come back and explain things to you? I've I've shown you my love in every way possible. And yet you're still almost writing him off. I don't think Paul held that against them in any way. I think that his love continued for them. And I think that his love would continue for them. That's one of the reasons Paul allowed himself to go through everything that he did. We didn't go through it tonight, but he talks about it again being shipwrecked and beaten and, and, and all kinds of things for the sake of the gospel. Because you see, Paul didn't love for the reciprocation of man. Paul loved because Christ loved him first. Even in his wickedness, even in his disdain for Christians and for Christ, God loved him enough to stop him and show himself to him.
that our lives would be that kind of a demonstration to the world around us. That we could love even the unlovely and even when it's not reciprocated, even when it's not pushed back, that we just continue to love. Loving them, not by my strength, not by my ability, but by the strength that God gives us. Amen. Noticed a theme weaving its way through Pastor David's messages and really through the Bible? That theme is salvation. It's Jesus. From the very beginning, God planned for His Son to come save the world from its sins. You find this plan ingrained in His Word, in the lives of the key people of Scripture, and in the words of truth each book provides. We're so glad you're on this journey with us. Through the Bible, we pray you're finding Jesus not just in the text, but in your everyday life too. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you'll be able to listen online at theopenword.com. There's several messages there, in fact, and many of them go even more in-depth through a verse-by-verse study of each individual book of God's Word. That website again is theopenword.com. Before our time is up with you today, we'd like to turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I wanted to take a moment and ask you to be praying for the ministry of The Open Word. I know God is working through the messages I've been able to share, and He's opening hearts to His love every step of the way. As Chris was saying, this book I'm teaching from is just filled with grace, and I want everyone to know about it. Would you pray that more and more people would come to know the saving grace of Jesus? Would you pray too for all of us who are creating the Open Word program? We want to keep focused on Jesus, not on us. Thanks so much for praying. And thanks for joining me today on The Open Word. Make us more.